This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Kia ora Sam My name's Sam, and I'm the Mayor of Selwyn District. People from all over Aotearoa New Zealand and the world have chosen to call Waikirikiri Selwyn their home. From the first settlers around Te Wahora Lake Ellesmere over 700 years ago, followed by the first wave of Pakeha settlers in the mid-1800s, to the newcomers of today. Each person, each face, each voice has a new story to tell. By listening to the Faces of Selwyn podcast, you'll hear the voices and stories behind these faces and celebrate with us the diversity of our district, New Zealand's fastest growing region. So sit back, relax and enjoy the story. Kia ora koutou. hello everyone. No mai hare mai. Welcome to the Faces of Sawong podcast. Today we are here with Ratodi and Alini. So what's hello in your national languages? So I speak uh, Portuguese is mm-hmm. my uh, mother tongue and it would be oi. Oi? Oi. Oh. And uh, so I speak Bengali, which is one of the many languages spoken in India, and that would be Namaskar. Namaskar? Cool. So now tell me a bit about yourself, your family, and what you like to do in your free time. So uh, we are a multicultural family. Uh, I was born in Brazil. I grew up in Iraq. I lived there for almost, uh, yeah, 10 years. Um, in my free time, I like to read, I like to go for walks, spend time outside, um, I love dancing, um, yeah, and spending time with my family and friends. Yeah, and, um, I grew up in India, in the east of India, so I spent the first 18 years of my life there, and after that, I went to the U.S., to study, but have been around the world since then. Um, what do I like doing? Uh, I really like reading graphic novels, comics of any kind. I also like CrossFit and playing Frisbee. But I would say the thing I love doing most is cooking. So I try and do that every day. And honestly, just having people over that I can cook for, which is maybe one of the greatest joys in my life. So and mine. what food do you guys cook pretty much everything i mean um i have a very big influence in like middle eastern food just because um where i grew up uh brazilian food is something that is just comfort food for me um i'm half italian so that's another you know based off my food uh but he's the one who does all the fusion and brings together like a lot of um Indian, Asian, uh, Middle Eastern, South American, a lot of Mexican food. Um, but I think you can talk more in terms of how that <laughs> works out. No, it's 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 uh, interesting, right? Cooking for because food is such a personal thing, right? And it kind of connects you to your past. It really um, allows you to feel good at the end of the day, right? And so. When I first met her, it took me a little while to a bit of trial and error to figure out this common palette that we could, you know, share. Mm-hmm. And so I feel these days um, there's a lot of uh, I, I 
I try and do different cuisines every day of the week. So we'll eat like some Bengali food on one day, which is quite heavy in mustard and coconut with a lot of fish. And then sometimes we'll do something Italian like pesto or bruschetta or, you know, some of that stuff. But there's also like fish tacos or, you know, Thai curries, um, whatever's happening, I guess. But I feel being in the South Island, we've eaten eaten a lot more meat just because of how cold it is. I don't think we ever ate this much meat in the past, but yeah. Yeah, and definitely my exploration in terms of palate and taste has totally um, grown a lot and expanded a lot after uh, we met because food, my upbringing and my relationship with food has always something to do with being alive. You know, like a physiological necessity and a basic need rather than something you just choose. And so, and then I was exposed to this variety of tastes and spices and, you know, he's just like a normal Indian cuisine, like a basic daily base Indian cuisine has over 11 spices. And those are things that, you know, I've never encountered. Um so it's been a great journey <laughs> to yeah to explore. So let's hear more about your journey to Selwyn. We've just heard your food journey. So <laughs> what about how you came to Selwyn? So um, I would say it was 2018 we moved to Brazil because Alini was uh, doing her PhD fieldwork in the Amazon basin. And so we were there for a while while she was doing her work, uh, kind of moving between the capital of Brasilia and some of these communities she was working with. And I was hanging out with our son, Theo, who you've met. Uh, And then I was just applying for jobs, you know, all over the world. Um, Both of us had read and heard a lot about New Zealand. And we really kind of had also heard a lot about Jacinda and um, living in the U.S. and even in Brazil with, we would say, a lot of uh, political, let's say, winds that were blowing more towards the right, uh, which was quite against the kind of stuff we believe in. We are quite progressive in that way, um, very, very left politically. And so we, we were trying to find a place where we could go, which was beautiful, was probably like more open to different ideas of gender, of race, of culture, uh, while being safe and also providing us with, you know, some kind of a security. So I I applied for a couple of jobs in New Zealand and actually ended up getting this job at Lincoln. And before we got here, we knew nothing about Selwyn. Like, we just knew that we were going to New Zealand. So it was, um, and it was very interesting that, uh, again, this is my ignorance and I don't know about you, Alini, but... I didn't under I didn't really know that there were this many Europeans living in New Zealand. I had inside my head the idea that it was a mostly Polynesian or a Pacifica country. But it was uh for me a bit of a shock to get off in the South Island and almost feel like I was back in the rural Midwest in the US because mm-hmm. it kind of seemed like that. Yeah. And so um yeah, we I got that job and then um you know, we, we and it was it was a it was a bit of a interesting time to get that job too. I interviewed my final interview for for this job was the day of the mosque shootings. 
the day off. And the, wow. the, the reason it was the day off is because we are we were a day in the past Western in Brazil. Western Hemisphere, yeah. And so, but technically the date I interviewed on is the same date, it right? It was March 13th. Yeah. yeah, and so I, it was, I remember waking up that morning and seeing the news and being, this this where we want to go? Like, we, you know, we have a son and the people who were, I don't know, lying on the street looked a lot like us. And so we were, there was, there was a pretty, you know, in, I would say a hard conversation that we have in, had in terms of, is this something we want to do? Um, and so, yeah, after that, anyway, we, we decided to go, you know, to come anyway. And um, yeah, when I think that that is sort of how we ended up in Selwyn and in, in this area. Yeah. How about you? Anything to add? I think the job, like the 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 possibility to to develop something that you were passionate about in terms of like food systems and agricultural landscapes and different um, parts of the world, I think played a big role. Um, for me, it was like a completely surprise because the way um, New Zealand's is somehow advertised. Like I work with livestock um, for long, long, like many, many years. And we did have a lot of connections with like Australian systems. Uh, knew a little bit about like how big and strong livestock sector was in New Zealand, but never got into like um, connect with the sector uh, itself. Um, and that gave me the sense of how also new, isolated New Zealand and New Zealanders are. And so what's your typical day like here in Selwyn? My typical day revolves in like um, housework, the part that is my responsibility, um, gardening, um, raising my kid and yeah. Growing another human. Growing another human. <laughs> um, yeah. I work from home, so I do a lot of um, consultancy work, research, um, beginning to get more and more involved into the whole Christchurch Food Resilience Network and all the work they're developing on the Red Zone with the Institute, uh, Canterbury Permaculture Institute as well, uh, with the food forest corridors that are being so this is for me like a big one in terms of building food resilience. And I've been more and more involved uh, within these networks and groups. Um, a lot of the work I do is at home. I've been taking um, work in the universities like UC and Lincoln. And so I do a lot of gardening and grow food for him to cook. <laughs> um, That's true. Um, the schedule of... Um, our son just started primary school, so I, I navigate his schedule. I mean, we do take, like, we don't have a very gendered role in terms of parenting. I think we're both very hands-on. Uh, we do have a lot of friends around most of the time, which we get, like, a very yeah. nice social life. Um, I tend to be more, like, um, hibernation mode, especially <laughs> in the winter. Yeah. This weather is like, I'm really like, sun's out, I'm out. Yeah. But sometimes it's just hard <laughs> with the with the weather. So yeah. those friends you made here in Selwyn or the friends that come visit you? 
Yeah, Salwyn and Christchurch, Opawa, yeah, Walton. There's people over. from all over. We went to this festival down in Timaru during New Year's, and yeah. then people that we met in the festival came, stayed with us, came to have dinner with us. Yeah. Mm. And what's your typical day? Um, mine is I usually wake up around 6.30 and try and go to the gym before I have to go to work. <laughs> because <coughs> otherwise I'm just in a chair. So I do that, and then I usually take our son to school, and then I come back, I mean, I drop him off around 9 and then go to work. And then I usually work, um, my work at Lincoln is around kind of uh, essentially creating platforms that engage indigenous knowledge and Western science in non-exploitative and non-extractive ways. So I work with uh, Maori professors at Lincoln and some other people as well. So I spend a lot of time in, often in meetings because it's a lot of dialogue and conversation. And um, But yeah, I do also some work around, work with designers, just yes, write papers, all that stuff. And then I'm back around five o'clock usually to start cooking <laughs> so we can all have dinner by seven. Um, yeah, I think... And then, yeah, our son goes to bed around eight. Yeah. And then we often are on Netflix or something. <laughs> okay, yeah. 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 And was that quite different from when you were living um, elsewhere to Selwyn? Like when you were living in a different country? Was that a different sort of typical day? Yeah. Yeah. How? Yeah. I think for me, like the big one is like how early everything just. Closes. You walk around, like even the city center, sometimes you walk around like 7.30, 8 p.m. and there's like nobody. And then even like the the party crowd, like um, they tend to be... Is that here or overseas? Sorry. No, here. Yeah. 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 And overseas, I think our life would go later. Much later. Much later. Yeah. We would be more outdoors for longer periods of time during the day. Um, yeah, I think for me, especially, I feel I spend way much more time at home, which was a new thing. Like in the beginning, I was like, am I depressed or something? <laughs> oh, no, this is just a new lifestyle that, you know, I, I I have to find my way around. So, yeah, understanding this like um, inside dynamics, I think, uh I mean, we do spend a lot of time. There was like lots of activities yeah. and, you know, tramping and all of that. But that's like, I mean, the daily basis, like school, go, yeah. pick up. And, and yeah, I think but that's it's also because it's also... Lincoln, you know, we live quite far from, let's say, the city center or whatnot. Yeah. Like if we lived somewhere closer to where we are right now sitting, I think it would be different because then you can just walk home or bike home or something versus driving half an hour late at night it's just i think so what were the countries that you were living in that they were out quite a lot later was it in america or well, in oh, brazil brazil, brazil. America, yeah. Yeah. yeah brazil we would spend like what two three hours a day at home yeah and it would be basically <clears throat> like dinner bedtime routine yeah waking up breakfast because brazil sometimes everything else would be like because eight o'clock you go to a restaurant and they're like, "What are you doing here? We're just opening." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. At eight at night, so. And plus, we lived in a tiny house. Yeah, I mean, it was which small. Which was yeah, which was yeah, kind of like everything was outside. Yeah. So. But also in India and any like big city, I mean, 
people don't eat dinner off until nine ten at night so mm-hmm. it's just uh, the city just stays alive a lot longer yeah even in, the US. even in the u.s yeah, yeah. yeah. i feel when we were and because the thing is in the u.s we lived in a lot of college towns yeah. which are lots of parties law and oh, like God. nobody go <laughs> 4 a.m someone's something's happening yeah something's happening yeah. um and and the central strip like kind of like what would be maybe i don't know uh maybe where we are right now this would never shut they like shut for maybe an hour or two mm-hmm. around 5 a.m <laughs> to reset for <laughs> and we can day. see there's not like we we love to party i mean i love dancing and like we come from cultures that our life like as an adult is not dissociated from kids yeah there is like this intergenerational spaces, life in yeah. spaces happening that it won't prevent me to have fun and meet my friends understanding that my my kid is safe and and having a great time without being you know exposed to loud noises or anything you know And so here it's kind of something that we find hard to either we have to have someone to be with him, like with um, with our kid, which we never had a babysitter or anything. Yeah. But like when we came before COVID, my mom came visit. So we had like a few nights that we just went out. But normally something that we don't we just have people over. But I feel this is something that we would have like a more intergenerational space where everybody could be having fun, you know. But and, it, there's another thing too. I feel and, in the U.S. or even in Brazil, out going out is quite cheap mm-hmm. compared to what it is here. Yeah. Like I, I mean, I when we were living in the place we were living in the U.S., you can get a really good beer, a pint for two dollars, mm-hmm. you know, or, or even a dollar in many of these places, and so. Well, compare that to Lincoln, where twelve, thirteen dollars for a pint, which, again, is prohibitive and kind of pushes people indoors, because mm. people can't really afford to spend a lot of time outside because they can't. Mm. There's, yeah. it's very expensive. Yeah. So that that is part of the equation as well. I feel it's more of a quiet lifestyle in a way. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. It definitely is. Yeah. But do you like that? Is there some aspect yeah, of that that you yeah, like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's totally like a Absolutely. great experience. I mean, we spent, what, four years in Madison, Wisconsin, where we would, like, get snowed in for a whole week, and it was, like, minus 40 degrees outside. Yeah. And, like, the years of the Arctic vortex and, like, so cold, and yeah. we would live life in black and white literally yeah. because there was no color people would never right. like you black know and white. black and and brown and navy blue and and i think this is all experience you know and it all brings like a lot i do a lot of work with healing and like individual and communal healing type of work governance decision making and like individual practices as well So I see everything as like an opportunity to get to know different aspects of yourself, different aspects of your own resilience and different aspects of your abilities, how we can, you know, nourish different yeah, um, yeah aspects. So I see 
yeah, I see. It's a yeah. great opportunity to just live through as an experience. And, and it's also that we're at a different point of time in our lives as well. Yeah. Which, you know, in our 20s, it was very different. But getting out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now that we're in our late 30s, yeah. it's like, fine, we get it. We can't really, you know, go hardcore. Yeah, we don't <laughs> even then, have the liver. <laughs> yeah, we don't have the livers anymore for it. But... Um, yeah, I, I think we quite like that where it's, you know, yeah. it's restful. We can just, mm. you know, and a lot of friends come over and stuff, so. Yeah. Well, that's great to hear that, you know, um, it's kind of a different lifestyle, but one you still enjoy compared to what you were sure. used to back home, yeah. I guess. So how are you finding Selwyn now? Um, what do you like about Selwyn? So for me, the first one is not only about like, but it's something that I've never felt this safe in my life. Nowhere in the world. And we've been like in all the six continents and we've been places I've never felt this safe. And I think this also translates to see my how my kid is being raised and the spaces and the amount of freedom he has just because how safe it is. So this for me is like, uh, yeah, a non-questionable um, thing. Another um, thing is like how kids friendly and how accessible it is for friends and family to just gather together and be around uh, the investment of, um, and this is a tricky one because I see a lot of programs, council, district councils in terms of community building. And I think this is fascinating because this is some of our like main take. I think we're like a very communal beings. We love being around people. And I really believe that we thrive as a collective. And I think everything has to be done through collective engagement. Um, but I don't see that in people. Daily basis, daily like daily activities, you know. Uh, and so it's a kind of tricky thing, but I do love how um, how much incentive for community and communal engagement there is in Selwyn. Uh, in terms of culture, sports, activities, friends' activities, uh, kids' activities, and just the engagement overall. Uh, yeah, I think those are my two big ones, like the communal uh, aspect of it and the safety. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely concur with both of that, and and especially the second one. I mean, I feel uh, for Theo, our son, just being in New Zealand has been such a gift uh, throughout the pandemic. I mean, he's such a spirited child. We can't imagine having him wear a mask and stay at home, and he probably would have had to do that. I mean, not probably, he would have had to do that. Had he been anywhere else on earth, yeah. all of us, but it would have been the hardest for him. And so I, I do feel that there's an incredible amount of investment that at least it seems to be that Atero is doing for his children, which maybe I don't know if that was the same case in the past, but at least if it's going into this generation, those dividends are going to pay off in a big way. Because you're going to have some really balanced, you know, compassionate, empathetic people come out of these processes, right? Um, that's a big one for me, the whole focus on children. Again, like this thing that Alini said about, about community building, uh, about the fact that there is, I, here's what I think. 
I feel like institutionally, different levels of government in this country, just like everywhere else, are working in almost, they're not working in unison. They're kind of working differently, right? And I feel at least on the district council level, there's a real push, you know, for, uh, I would say this, I realize that New Zealand is a bicultural nation, but the reality is that there is a multicultural, you know, place, places, right, that are being developed now. You can walk into the library in Lincoln and see books in multiple languages, right? And I feel that personally, um, that while that is what the institution is pushing or the let's say the level of governance is pushing that often that is not quite matching some of the i would say lower level conglomerations of people right like families or communities so you often see you know let's say less accepting um, ideas show up which again are probably coming through some of those very closed bubble communities that every place has. So I feel that the you know the district council or whatever the whichever level of governance it is, they're they're fighting a very big uphill battle. You can't change culture in one generation, right? It takes a long time. But I think they're trying and and I'm very like very happy to see things like LGBTQ plus, you know, stuff very openly discussed. Things about trans rights, you know, things about anti-racism. Having these issues front and center for children is absolutely vital. Because if we don't, you know, get them into this mindset right now, it's too late once they are adults, right? So I think it's a really amazing thing to see that, at least in the library, at least the places that we've been. Mm. Awesome. Tell us a bit more about your um, travels before you got here to Selwyn. <laughs> That's a, huh. It'll take a few hours, but... Uh, yeah, if you can shorten it. <laughs> I think travels have been pretty much the summary of our lives. And I think that's what kind of like makes us wanting to settle down. Whereas um, there's also this... Um, you can see traveling associated with a lot of capital, with a lot of freedom, with a lot of privilege, um, privilege which I think for both of us, it was not always the case. It was more like a necessity, an adaptation process, a like my parents, um, you know, striving for um, allowing us to have like access to education and stuff like that. And so, whereas we had the, the opportunity to travel pretty much, like, everywhere, like, the whole world, we've been, like, many, many places, we've encountered many, many cultures, and we've blended in and, and adapted, it was more like, um, I think, a survival um, um, aspect of it, of, like, merging in, blending in as... as um, a strategy to just thrive. What was it like for you living in the Amazon? I heard that you... Um, in the there. Amazon? Yeah. Yeah, that forest, um, yeah, but a lot of people are trying to just survive there. Um, there are many Amazons. There are um, many layers. Originary people, traditional communities. I don't like the traditional word because you box people in time. 
well. They're very dynamic uh, and adapting to, you know, dynamic systems and, and phenomena. Um, but yeah, we're getting close to a tipping point in terms of deforestation, which means desertification is something that we already seen in a lot of areas, uh, especially southern and southeast of the Amazon basin. So the Pan-Amazonian uh, area is like it comprises nine countries. Um, and there are different dynamics, but, but all of them associated with this um, economic development model that is pretty uh, based on extractive and exploitation of natural resources and people. Um, so yeah, the situation there is not as pretty as people think when they think about the Amazon. Mm-hmm. And what was your um, experience in the Himalayas? Yeah, like? no, um, <clears throat> what Alini just said is one of the reasons I feel how our family has stayed together in many ways is because we were both driven by this search for justice and for equity. And in the Himalayas, you see some of the same I would say cycles or some of the same processes. It's all about land, like who can take the land and like what they can do with that land. And so when I was there, I worked a lot with farmers, with a lot of young people. So I spent a lot of time working with young people, kind of understanding what is it that they wanted from their future, from their Himalaya, right? Not what somebody else was telling them on the news or some, you know, European tourist was telling them, you know, as they're looking for nirvana or whatever they're looking for. And that was that was very interesting, meeting these young people who would always ask me, like, why are these people here? And whenever we ask them, they say they're, look, they're looking for themselves. And then one, I remember this, this old lady said to me in, uh, in Himachal, the state in India, that can't they find themselves back home? Which was such an interesting comment that why do... Europeans and Americans need to come to the Himalayas to find themselves. Mm. Like, can't you just find yourself at home? Uh, I feel there has to be just so much more work done for environmental, climate, and social justice in many of these places that there's really no other story, right? That is the story. Mm. Well, I think it's fascinating that you've learned all that from those experiences that you've had in other countries. And, you you know, you... Um, have taken that with you and taken it here to New Zealand and you're, hap- you're able to sh- share those stories with everyone here. I think that's awesome. There is a lot of change happening, right, in Selwyn. Um, just like probably anywhere else in New Zealand, there is this... I feel it's a interesting debate to be a part of. Um, what should the future look like, right? That is, I, I hear that question a lot even when I'm working at the university, that you know, let's say tomorrow there's, I don't know, 5,000 more houses built, right, between the, I don't know, Rolleston, Springston, Lincoln area, right? And then some people will say, well, this is progress, right? We are bringing in families who are going to add to the economy. And then other people will say, well, we're literally paving over really good farmland. Also, you know, essentially ensuring that flooding in the future will be much worse because now there's nowhere for that water to go when the rain comes. Um, and then there's all these questions around who gets to decide, right, what, what happens to this piece of land? Is that Monofenua? Is that, you know, district council? Is that whoever, right? And I often feel 
one question that I, I often have <coughs> is that what is the role of immigrants such as us who have just shown up? How can we engage meaningfully in some of these conversations and, you know, be a part of, because at the end of the day, this is a critical aspect of building community, right? Because if, if we are, if we are not engaging in with these conversations around how our futures are going to look like, then there can be no community. Like, for example, if you ask us, would, you know, what do you think about staying in Selwyn long term, right? The biggest issue for us is finding a job, right? It's really hard getting a job um, in some of the work that we do, right? Mm -hmm. In, let's say, academia or research or... Because, um, like, for example, I'll give you a great example. Like, f since we are on work visas, it's hard for us to uh, learn newer things because often what you hear is, oh, you have all this experience from elsewhere, but you don't have a lot of experience in New Zealand. So I say, fine, so let me take a course, take a class so I can learn, but I can't. I'll violate my visa if I do that, right? And so then often when I go to an interview, someone says to me, but you don't know anything about it. I'm like, I can't because I tried to, but I can't learn, you know? And so it, it, it ends up being a bit of a catch-22 for, let's say, people like us that do want to stay here and be a part of this community. If we, if we can't get hired, then we might have to move on. You know what I mean? Thank you so much for your time today and um, joining us for the Faces of Selwyn podcast. Uh, it was fa fascinating learning about your life stories and that and um, all what you're passionate about. Uh, so now the last question I have for both of you is how do you say goodbye or farewell in your languages? Ciao. Ciao, yeah. For us, it's actually funny. We say, Ami Ashchi. Ashchi, which actually means I'm coming instead of leaving. Ah. So we say that because, you know, the, the logic is that I'm just, you know, I'll be back. So we'll see each other soon. Okay. So we say, Ami Ashchi. Ashchi. Yeah. I know in um, Toreo, um, Mate wa is see you later or see you whenever. So that's yeah. kind of similar to that, isn't it? Right. Mm -hmm. mm. Cool. So that's all for Faces Sewn podcast with Fratodi and Alini. Hope everyone has a great day. Thank you so much for having us no and worries. giving us the space to just share a little bit. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Thank you guys. <laughs>